This is episode 47 with Gary Janetti. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. Hey, Men of Abundance, this is kind of a long conversation today, but well worth the listen, in my opinion. I'm pretty sure you're going to think so as well, and you're definitely going to want to share this one. I just want to mention something really quick that I'm working on before I bring our future guest out. And that is, I've noticed a few people have been asking more and more questions about podcasting and if it would be good for their business or their book or just their message in general. And I've been fielding some of these questions. Well, here's what I've decided to do. I have decided to personally coach and mentor five future podcast hosts that may be one of you or it may be somebody else that you know. So share this episode with others so that they can hear this quick message. Now, here's the deal. I seriously am only going to take on five people. This is not a scarcity type of thing. It's just because of my time. I have a pretty good idea of how much time it's going to take to personally mentor and hold five people accountable to their podcast and get their podcast launched in just three months or less. I know it can be done because I did it. Even though I had a mentor, he was not a one-on-one mentor because John Lee Dumas doesn't do one-on-one mentorship programs anymore. And when he did, he charged $10,000 a month for the mentorship. I am not going to be charging anywhere near that at all whatsoever. This program is going to be done very informal. I'm going to be working directly with five individuals starting their podcast from concept to what structure will be best for your particular industry and your message and what your niche is. We're going to niche down exactly who your audience is. We're going to decide what software would be best for you based on the equipment that you already have and then determine how quickly you want to grow your podcast and your business will help us decide which software you need to use. I'll make suggestions for all of that, the whole bit, everything. I'm going to be working with you one-on-one. So if you're at all interested or considering starting a podcast, send me an email to wally at menofabundance.com. This is very important. In the subject line, put podcast coach. I'll then reply back to you so that we can set up a 10 to 15 minute Skype call so that we can determine if you're the right candidate to be one of the five that I'm going to coach and mentor to start your podcast, get it up and running, full blown in three months or less. Now be abundant in your life today and share this episode with everybody that you know so they can hear this amazing conversation. Our feature guest today is Gary Janetti. Gary has been designing and making glass for over 38 years. I find this very fascinating. I've always been very fascinated with glass makers and glass blowers and the fine arts. It's just amazing stuff, but Gary has taken it to the next level. And I will have Gary's full bio in the show notes of this show at menofabundance.com forward slash 047. But the really cool thing about Gary, the reason why I had him on the show aside of his story, is one of the things that he's doing is in 2013, he branched out into a world of recycled or what he refers to as upcycled glass with his junkyard glass project. It initiated by a trip to a local auto junkyard to assist his two daughters on a school project. Then the idea was born to recycle broken car windows into beautiful products. 
From that, he made a video, launched a campaign on Kickstarter, and raised over $10,000 to develop the small social and environmentally responsible business. This is what I like about Gary's business. This is what I like about what Gary is doing because, as you know, I love for-purpose businesses. I love businesses that have anything to do with helping out the environment and being environmentally responsible. And I really like Gary's backstory, and he's just a really cool guy. Gary, welcome to Men of Abundance. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Good to, uh, good to share some time so far away, you know. <laughs> it is. Where are you at in the world? New York. New York. Upstate New York. And uh, we're in the beginnings of fall and uh, near the end of the day here. So, Okay. But uh, good time to sit down and chat, you know, and talk a little bit. How did we get in contact? Oh, through... Hans. Oh, Hans. Oh, Hans. In- Hans Hagman. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. He's a, a new friend of mine, but he's a, a neighbor. He lives right around the corner from me. He just, he and his wife and family just moved out here, and we got. I got to know him through. Uh, we do a studio sale out of my my studios in the backyard of the house here, and uh, he came by when during one of our open studios, introduced himself, says, you know, I'm just. You know, looking for something to do locally, getting to know people, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a really good energy, good energy guy, and I'm uh, happy to happy to be a friend of his and working with him a little bit, and uh, he's helping me a bit to broaden out my perspective <laughs> on the world. Yeah, he's a great guy, and he will certainly broaden your perspective. He is yeah. one, he is a ball of energy for sure, and a very abundant leader in my mind. Yes, yeah, absolutely, I totally agree with you, 100. percent Excellent. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he turned me on to the whole idea of a podcast. It's my first one, so I've never really uh, done this kind of thing before, and uh, it's kind of fun to uh, to uh, you know have a have a space to say something. You know, we, I live out in the country, and I have my friends, and uh, I used to be traveling all over the country, and we, most of my social group was uh, colleagues were from all over the country, and we'd get together doing shows and. Uh, they were kind of like uh, gatherings and parties and and uh, our business at the same time. So, but yeah. the last few years I've cut back on traveling and uh, for a variety of reasons and you know just sort of trying to transition into a uh, a new way of uh, presenting what I do to the public and thus I'm speaking with Wally. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> and I appreciate. Uh, I'm I'm honored to be the uh, the first one that you get on. That's a, that's just amazing. And podcasting is by far. I I think the estimates look at about thirty percent of the population even know what a podcast is, let alone mm-hmm. listen to them. And yeah, oh, it's growing though. I I really think it's going to be the future for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the way people talk to each other, and you know, it's it's such a has such integrity to use this use the technology for something like this i mean because it really i mean it just couldn't happen any other way but uh there's just so much other stuff out there that people are doing on the internet that it's daunting but uh to to have a, a nice personal conversation in depth with somebody like this is a wonderful thing it is. It's definitely refreshing. You know, just chatting online, you know, and type and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. so much easier to get our message out. And, you know, you look at the old school, you know, you look at radio, you look at print as far as companies trying to get their message out. And quite frankly, everybody wants to hear stories these days. And always, right. it's always been the case. Stories always. Right. 
uh, are the best way to go. People love stories. It's, this is by far the best way to get it out there, just to have an honest conversation. So I like to start out every show basically the way I start out every morning, which is with an attitude of gratitude. So what do you have to be grateful for today, Gary? Well, I am grateful to be here. And, you know, I thought about this. Uh, the word gratitude is a very interesting thing to me because it has such depth. And it's one of these state, what I call state-dependent words, where when I'm suffering, then I'm searching for gratitude. But when I'm in a positive state, it's, it surrounds me. It embraces me in everything that I do. And that's a wonderful thing, and I've really strived for that in my life to move beyond just the superficial. Um, so, of course, I'm grateful for my family and my friends and everybody that puts up with me. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, there's this, uh, just to tell a, one quick story about a, a moment of gratitude that I'm reminded of every day when... Uh, in the mornings for myself and that I went through a very serious uh, surgery open heart surgery in 2009 as uh, uh, anybody that hasn't had that experience it it can be uh, you know it's pretty it's a major surgery but when you wake up they you have this you're intubated still you still have the breathing mechanism down your throat and your hands are like restrained so you don't get up and take it out and I was very discom discomforted by that and didn't feel like I was getting enough oxygen. And I kept saying, take it out, take it out. But finally the, the, the uh, doctor uh, in the ICU took it out. And I'll tell you, that breath that I took, I was, that was gratitude. <laughs> it was like a baptism <laughs> for me. And I really... Uh, since then, I've had a very acute sense of my breathing, and I come back to it during the day, and, I, and it, it really is connected with this feeling of this attitude of gratitude, just like you say. It, uh, it can grow out of these small moments that um, can have great significance in life. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely a significant emotional event, and I like what you brought up about gratitude, and um, you ask for gratitude in uh, hard times. But you also are thankful for gratitude in the good times. Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's extremely important, absolutely, without a doubt. So before we got started here, I gave a very brief bio uh, and talked a little bit about you, Gary. But I would like to hear it from you a little bit more about a brief background of who you are, what you're doing. And um, we're going to eventually get into that kick in the gut moment. But... And then yeah. that is another moment, but <laughs> well, that's just one of them. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was figuring, I was figuring so based on our previous conversation. So um, yeah, absolutely. So let's get a little bit personal. Let's hear a little bit more about who sure, Gary sure. is. Well, uh, I have had a career, uh, a really wonderful opportunity to have a career where I have been an independent glass maker for almost forty years now, and I kind of stumbled into it uh, right after college. I grew up in Wisconsin and uh, came out east uh, right after college to visit some friends out here and uh, ended up uh, uh, doing construction work with this guy that was just learning how to do glass making and glass blowing. And so he knew a little bit more than I did and he needed help. So I just, we, we would work in the construction business during the day, house building, and then at night we'd go practice glass blowing. And 
we worked together, finally did some shows, and and this was 1976, so um, 76, 77. And he quit shortly thereafter and left me hanging with everything, and I just took off with it and never looked back. Uh, it was a time in the, the craft world where there was very few people doing that kind of work, hand-making glass and in a kind of a garage-style People had figured it should belongs in a factory, and that's where it was in most of the world. But uh, there was a few kind of crazy artist types, you know, like myself at that time in my age, uh, where, uh, well, let's do this, you know, let's pick it up, see where I go with it. And uh, I was running out of money, and it, my father had um, passed away when I was 20, and he was a veteran of World War II and had a, died of a service-connected death at the age of 49. So I, I had gone through my second half of college with the GI Bill and then uh, still had some money left. I discovered that they, the veteran, the VA, had an apprenticeship program for, for a part of the GI Bill and I uh, found this, uh, looked him up and this Vietnam vet came out just a very impressive man um, in the sense I was working in this kind of shell of a garage at that time no windows no doors just plywood and a roof and he just so not judgmental about <laughs> what I was doing I was very impressed by that and uh, he said I just want I just want you to uh, get what you want out of this and so Patrick was still working with me at the time and uh, for a year, we had an apprenticeship, and I got some money to keep going with it. And I never looked back. Traveled, the, began traveling the country, selling my work, and doing wholesale, learning as I went along because I had never studied glass making at all. And uh, I was part of a movement, a real movement in the country for the American craft movement, which was a, was a revival of the hand making of uh, decorative items, some in the gift world, and then over into the art world, which is where I went with it um, eventually. And then uh, uh, things things change, uh, you know, I, I did that for like almost 30 years, I guess, 25, 30 years, and kind of living the, live the dream in many ways. Got married, and uh, my wife and I adopted two girls from China, and I uh, traveled to China several times for that, and then so we had a family here, and I was able to make a living, a modest living, doing what I love to do. I mean, what gets better than that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I completely agree, and that's very – I've seen your work, and I've seen the pieces that you've done that are on the site, and I'm going to – if you don't mind, I have a website. Gonna, you, can, you can publicize it if you want. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I will yeah. certainly have that website in the show notes of this show. And uh, in addition to that, if you don't mind, I would like to highlight some of your pieces on the show as well, sure. on the show notes, uh, without a doubt. Or if you ha And if you have any favorites, then send them to me, and I'll make sure they get on there. But uh, the website will certainly be in there. I'm easily amused. There's no doubt about it. But one thing I have always been so intrigued in is glass blowing and the whole mm. art of working with, with glass. But the thing that really intrigued me about what you were doing is... You have, let me make sure I get the term right, upcycled glass. Is that right? Yeah, that's my recent, that's my recent project yeah. is, uh, is upcycling um, a waste material, which is broken tempered glass. So instead of recycling, 
glass, which in, is interpreted as just taking broken beer bottles or wine bottles and then melting them down and making more beer bottles and wine bottles out of them. Uh, this is actually an upcycling. So I take broken glass and I make beautiful objects out of it. And uh, uh, I've spent uh, the last year or so uh, developing products. My family and I did a Kickstarter uh, to uh, generate some, uh, some funds to uh, develop products. And we were successful, and it was a great a great thing we call it junkyard glass because that's where it was born. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is yeah, that where you uh, get the glass from? Uh, some of it comes as auto glass. Some of it uh, I, I have sourced within five miles of my home, which gives me great uh, courage to 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 contract to sell this kind of work because uh, I've sourced over a ton of it just within five miles of my home. Wow. Uh, broken uh, auto glass, uh, commercial shelving. Uh, one lady nearby has crates full of it that she got from a, a Brooklyn construction site. It was brand new, but tempered glass, once it's tempered, cannot be altered. It's If you try to alter it, it just shatters. It right. breaks into little pieces. So she's been in her barn. She has crates full of uh, this two-by-four-foot sheets of this uh, temper glass that they, they gave away. They were going to have to the land, pay to have it hauled away to the landfill. But she said, oh, I'll take it. We'll do something with it. And then she heard about what I was doing and came over and said, oh, I got a whole bunch of it for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just gonna come over and get it whenever you need some. So uh, there's a lot of more and more uh, uses uh, for tempered glass because of its safety features and uh, the way it breaks. Yeah, kind uh, of one of a kind of a um, fun fact about me is that's one of my first jobs is I worked in a glass not a glass factory we built windows so the glass Hmm. already came to us mostly cut Um, we had we dealt with a lot of um, crystal glass as well so you could cut the crystal but obviously you couldn't cut the tempered but that stuff is heavy especially when it's double paned in a you know six by five window that's right that's right it's uh, (laughs) it's heavy and that's what it's costly to throw into the earth you know in many ways not just uh, it's not toxic that's uh, one advantage glass has it's not mm-hmm. a toxic material uh, some of the raw material the ingredients that go into it initially are toxic but mm-hmm. they're all fused together it doesn't uh, it has this amazing ability to uh, to maintain itself in, in a very inert way you know the in general product the the um, Raw materials don't leach out of it like some other, like plastics, you know, can give off outgassing and things like that when they're disturbed. But glass itself, even when it's remelted, gives off very little uh, toxic material. But it's just the weight issue and the fact that so much energy goes into making it that it really is a waste to to have to throw it into the earth. Mm Uh, when you can find purpose for it, repurpose it and upcycle it, as you said, as I called it. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love um, that part of it. That's just amazing. Yeah. So along yeah. the way, you know, how long have you been doing that, 30 years? The upcycling part has been since, uh, let's see, we did the Kickstarter in 2013, so okay. that's fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been busy mostly, most of my career has been busy as an artist. Uh, you know, I work independently. It's I've... I've had assistants here and there, mostly other glass artists. We share helping each other, 
the Hudson Valley where I live is kind of got a, a number. It's really the birthplace in many ways of the American craft movement. Um, uh, just because the main shows were out here that everybody did. So people would even come from California, the West Coast, all the way out to the East Coast, and still do, mm -hmm. to access uh, the market out here for selling uh, certain types of products, you know, gift-type things. The art art market, which I kind of latched on to about mid-career, I had a little uh, glimpse of fame by having a piece featured on the cover of Smithsonian Magazine. And uh, that kind of boosted my uh, image to focus more in in the art world, which was really great because then I could stay independent and not have to travel so much for my I could sell through galleries, which is what I did uh, for the uh, last fifteen years. You know. Uh, yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So what I'd like to do is get into, you know, that much time in doing what you were doing. And you, you basically talked a little bit about it in the very beginning and that you needed funding and you got a chance to get the apprenticeship program going. But I'd like to hear that greatest kick in the gut moment that you had at one point, either on a personal level or on a professional level, uh, whichever you feel like sharing. Well, it, it's kind of combined for me. My, I have... <laughs> What I recently learned from a friend of mine who's a, an entertainment and uh, a lawyer, he says, you know, you have a lifestyle business. You know, the, many times artists uh, uh, get very, the way to get very famous and really big name is to really turn your life over to other people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, major entertainers talk about this all the time is that, they don't really have a personal life left, really, uh, in many ways, and they're are they're very protective of their personal life. Uh, it's very isolated in many ways. They can't go outside and this and that. But uh, for me, I have what's called a lifestyle business, and I I really appreciated that. And that's another thing I'm very grateful for is that early on I made the decision. I was um, very comfortable talking to people about what I did, marketing my own work, and. Uh, and I did that, and you know, a lot of us did make that. And with the preference for a lifestyle, we could live anywhere in the country, and go to shows and sell our work, make what we like, basically, and go to shows and sell it, and come back with the money. And that was great. And then uh, I guess really, beginning after 9/11, uh, the their cultures began. The culture began to shift away from these public gatherings and the. Uh, people with money that were my customers, my customers were basically upper middle class to wealthy people, uh, began less and less to be going out and uh, this kind of a tone of austerity in the culture that that uh, was just starting to heal a little bit and then 2008 came along and the economic crunch really, it really affected the arts in general in, in a lot of ways. Uh, as that's one of the, the kind of things that people uh, discretionary income becomes a, a lot less open for spending. The discretion is <laughs> is tightened quite a bit when it comes to art purchases and collecting. Uh, so I mean, it did. That was just the beginning, and and, and then in two thousand nine, both my wife first my wife had a major incident uh, where she ended up. Going, going through emergency brain surgery and you know it was her survival was uncertain uh, and which was definitely a 
traumatic event being helicoptered to a trauma center and the whole thing. She was really, uh, uh, it was a surprise in the sense it wasn't an, uh, an accident that happened. I just came up from the studio. I was, I was getting to go to a show and I uh, had the van all packed and everything and came up to the house and she was laying on the floor like I thought she had fallen asleep and turns out she had had a seizure and so I was uh, 10 years on the local volunteer ambulance corps so I uh, was able to get her safely to the emergency room and they were, didn't know quite what to make out of the situation she had regained consciousness and uh, they thought maybe she had had a seizure based on the CT scan, but when we went to the, she, they, they said it could have been a stroke also, and the, so they were they sent her on. We live in a, a small town; it has a little local hospital, but they didn't, uh, they were weren't uh, ready to take that situation on, so they mm-hmm. helicoptered, medevaced her down to the Westchester Medical Center, and turns out she had very large brain tumors uh, that one had started to bleed a little bit to cause a seizure and uh, she went into emergency surgery and you know everything fortunately everything was very successful for her and uh, she recovered uh, pretty well and then she was still recovering from that and then that same year I went through the open heart surgery uh, also without previous symptoms just um, I had a valve issue that needed immediate attention so uh, I had an open heart valve to repair and uh, a maze procedure for uh, atrial fibrillation but uh, so those were but it's still it's uh, pretty it was very hard on my children and understandably so to see both their parents all of a sudden disabled in a way and uh, my older daughter was 14 at the time and Shortly thereafter, she was bullied in school and, uh, you know, at a very vulnerable time in her life and cyberbullied over the phone and uh, uh, just led to a uh, kind of a real kick in the gut for our whole family, yeah, wow. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> where she couldn't go back to school. And all both me and I are recovering, trying to get back on the road, earning some income. And, of course, the medical bills were piling up and... Uh, you know, we fortunately we did have a uh, you know major catastrophic insurance with a ten thousand dollar deductible. But you know, we're we, as I said, we had a lifestyle business. Not we were not rich. That wasn't our priority to make a lot of money. We mm-hmm. really our priority was to live a life that we were we had just what we needed. We had everything we needed, but it wasn't extravagant at all you know it was kind of not prepared for catastrophe by any means but uh, so that's what happened we had we ended up having that catastrophic moment where uh, these this perfect storm of events came our way in some way and uh, it's been a healing journey ever since you know yeah absolutely so as far as the healing process is going what did you learn from that whole process i mean because i love the whole idea of the the lifestyle business 
Yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, I, I've met so many people. I travel quite a bit, and I've met some amazing people. And, and some folks travel the world, and they travel the world because they have a lifestyle business. Or they may even just be the type of people they want. Like I met a young lady here. I was out skydiving. And what she does is she's she's been known for she packs parachutes. So yeah. one of the things, yeah. things she does is she travels around the world. She'll be in New Zealand one year. She'll be, yeah. She's been to 20-some-odd countries, and she's only like 19. 18 or 19, yeah. no, she's, she's between 19 and 21, something like that. She yeah. was young to me, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and me that's what she does, right? And, and yeah. she just lives a great, she's been all over the place, and she lives a great lifestyle, and she hangs around with some really cool people. I'll tell you, that is, it's more and more a premium lifestyle, especially for the young, young mm-hmm. people. It's part of what allows me to relate to young people is that they look to me as, as a model in many ways, mm-hmm. and I've... Uh, I'm in the process of uh, trying to create a bridge to in our local community to the younger generation, the millennials, that uh, many of whom are struggling in their creative careers, and you know, and they see these models of young people that are billionaires by mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time they're 20, and I say you don't you don't need that, you know, you don't need that to mm-hmm. be a successful and fulfilled person. You know, just like what you're doing. Abundance is all around us. Mm-hmm. And it really, you learn to open yourself up to that. And this, this you know, get rich quick thing, you know, the old, it's just, uh, it's great if it happens to you, but mm-hmm. there are so many other opportunities in life. And, and in many ways, more fulfilling than that, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's not all it's cut out to be either. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if people, there's so much rhetoric out there and so much just, like you said, the pop stars that are making all this, you know, millions of dollars, they don't see, you know, what it take, what the lifestyle that they have to go through to live that. They're not as happy as they appear to be in many oh. cases. And yeah. then they end up, you know, that's why they end up doing drugs and end up in yeah. jail and end up doing all this other stuff. The millennials, yeah. quite frankly based on what I've seen and, and talking to other amazing men on the show and off the show, is the more and more millennials are more interested in collecting experiences rather than collecting stuff. And that's, that's right. why they're picking up these vocations that right. are building a lot. They're building their vocation around their lifestyle. And I, it just makes me, it makes me giggly. It really does. I just love the idea of that and to yeah. see people do that. That's right, and that's uh, where the experience uh, becomes, that's the premium. And the money comes along with it in many cases. If you mm-hmm. really love what you're doing and uh, find the passion to follow through with it, um, mm-hmm. that uh, I was very fortunate to get into something at a time when it was just beginning for a lot of us. Uh, and it, it didn't take the skill level that you could kind of learn as you went along, but uh what's happening these days what i'm seeing is that the tools for creativity have really come down to earth in many ways to to be on your tabletop right on your desktop right in front of mm-hmm. you you know these incredible tools have have uh you know become available for for so many people that uh uh it it opens up another world of creativity and that's uh, it's new to, it's some somewhat new to me because my approach, along with many of us, we, was very traditional. Going, in fact, my lifestyle. You look at what I call a lifestyle. 
here for me, it, it, I could have been like Paul Revere living in early American days. I mean, that's what they did. <laughs> they had the house in the front and the workshop behind, or the other way around. The workshop was up front, and they lived behind, or they lived over that workshop, and uh, uh, just. I mean, where in the you go into other countries, and that in China when we visited, they were still doing things that way. But it seems so backward here. But really, uh, there's a lot to be said for keeping scaling your life, keeping a hold of the scale of your life, so that you meet your needs and you find you see a way forward. And but you you stay open to the possibilities that life has to bring you, you know, and, and the priorities have sh definitely, it seems, shifted after the the abuses of our economy, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what, what people went through. I mean, I was just talking with my brother, it happens to be his birthday, and he was he was a big wig in the music business, you know, Sony Records, VP and the whole thing, you know, all of a sudden that music business just changed, totally. And uh, he has had tremendous adaptation to go through, and now he's doing home health care. You know, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, happy uh, birthday to your brother. Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll enjoy it when he hears the podcast <laughs> that I mentioned to him because <laughs> he's awesome. and it's been a struggle, but he's being successful, and you know, he's been a real support and role model for me in many ways of what because uh, he was always the business mind. I I I was fortunate. I never you know we didn't have to sell anything. People came to us. And the, how can you go wrong with meeting the person who made something that you really love, that you really like, and and are willing to pay? You know, my bigger pieces were quite expensive, and there were people that just you know were saw the value in that, and uh, it's uh, it's something you can't do on the internet. But uh, you know, we're coming as close as you can get with it right now. But uh, you can't just. You know, you just don't get that on the internet, and it's it. The internet is another thing that ha happened to what I did was that uh, more and more uh, younger people said, "Well, I don't, I don't need to go to a craft show and beat the crowd, and you know, be outside, and you never know what's going to happen." And when I can shop on Etsy and see all kinds of stuff in my, you know, whenever I want to, you know, my pajamas at home, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and usually whenever I end up buying something like that, it's usually because I know the backstory. And right. so that's why I, I always look for the backstory for certain things, especially when it comes to arts and crafts and those right. th those type of things, the arts. Um. Yeah, the story has become much more important to uh, to what I do. And, uh, you know, I'm really emphasizing that in, in all my communications is to learn how to tell the story in different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's easy when you're face to face with somebody and they ask you, you're, you're surrounded by your work and they come into the booth and of course they're, you know, they're already intrigued because they walked into your booth and uh, it's a great opening uh, and it, it really has everything going to tell that story. Then people are curious, particularly about glass because it has such a mystery to it as like how it's made and I didn't know you could do that in your backyard you know? mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's still unless you've seen it being done on a small scale close up uh, it's it's pretty incredible there's there's many videos on online about it and on on the television now but uh, uh, just because it's such an attractive and a beautiful process it just I tell you I was hypnotized by it that's how I got into it I, I, it became my addiction for a while. Just I couldn't get enough of it, and 
uh, it just this magical material that, that is alive, right? And responds, you know, it's like a conversation with the material. Sometimes it takes over and sometimes you take over and <laughs> something comes out of it in the end and uh, it's it has this wonderful, wonderful responsiveness to it that, and spontaneity. So we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward here, Gary, but even before we do that, just briefly, just in case there's anybody out there who's as intrigued as I am and really wants to kind of get into it and even as a hobby and, and try to, what would you recommend to that person that wants to uh, get into glass blowing or, or working with glass? Well, uh, right now, the real growing side of what uh, what I was doing in glass making, the scale-up glass making, which began in the garage, is now in what's called a public access studio, and that's a real growing thing across the country, just because it's um, it's usually a team activity. Uh, I was one of the few people that did a lot on my own, but... Uh, mostly it's done with two, three, four people, and it's a great way to work together and learn together so you can take turns doing various parts of the process. And those public access studios uh, are all over the country. You just look up and you, you'll find something in most urban areas, the cities for sure. And uh, uh, I think even on Hawaii there's one. Uh, I know there's a few good galleries there. And usually where there's glass being uh, sold, there's... Uh, but these access studios are not too far away. So, and also, there's another quite popular form of glass making, which is uh, called flame working, or uh, it's done with a torch, and it's it's become very very popular uh, with the uh, millennial, the young people, uh, because there's a built-in market making marijuana pipes, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and in the places where it's legal, uh, it's uh, it, they can earn a living doing it, so right. it's become very popular doing that. Uh, and, and it's it's uh, my good buddy uh, Paul Stankert is is one of the best in the world at that style of glass making, and he's written several excellent books trying to convince the, that world that there's an art side to what and a very creative side to what they're doing, and uh, to not limit themselves to a, one kind of product, but uh, it. Uh, it's certainly a, a much more accessible way to work with glass and to make jewelry, beads, smaller type items, paperweights is, is called flame working and that you can get a setup to work in a small space uh, for you know under a thousand dollars where glass blowing on a large scale it's you know tens of thousands of dollars to set up a studio now wow. so learning through schools there's many university programs now where there weren't when I was coming up, uh, a lot of the art schools have a class program that uh, if you wanted to pay to take courses. Uh, and these, like where I am, uh, Corning, New York, has a big program for teaching. Uh, in Brooklyn, New York, believe it or not, there's uh, a uh, urban glass, which is done in, in uh, a large studio just over the Brooklyn Bridge. And in South Jersey, there's another one. I don't know the name of it. Philadelphia, I've worked in. But uh, basically, there are urban areas. I know in Chicago, there's a brand new one that just... Uh, but people look up on the Internet, glass blowing, and you'll find uh, these public access studios where you can take classes. And then when you get some uh, skills, you can rent time at the furnace so you don't have the overhead of having your own equipment, uh, which can be considerable. 
Oh yeah, that's perfect yeah. right there. So yeah. we're gonna pay it forward now, and what I would like for you to do is to give men of abundance one to three actionable steps that they can take today. Actionable steps. Open every morning to the abundance within. I've more and more that's been a feature of my day. And from that I've been able to uh, find a new sense of who I am that is ready to include others in a community sense uh, to build a new community. And that's one of my recent strongest engagements is to build a creative community in my area uh, because so often that people get that, that side of things gets too fractured and it's all you know if it's not about money then nobody comes together but uh, really that uh, it's tremendously rewarding for me at this time in my life to uh, make that bridge and be a mentor to younger people that are engaged in all kinds of different creative endeavors and to share the good fortune that I've had in my life to uh, have been able to do something that I really love to do and inspire, become a, a mentor to inspire others to really reach for that in their life because uh, the culture that we live in can be very deadening and it's not getting any better in my mind. <laughs> uh, it really needs uh, new vision and a vision that comes from a resource within and connected with something more deeply inside is uh, where real action comes from. Excellent. I don't want to add any more to that. I'll get too wordy. <laughs> what daily habits make up the biggest impact in your life? Well, other than uh, what I said is I, I sit every morning and I'm not a follower of any particular uh, religion at this point in my life but uh, for me that's my temple my church it's become I, I don't like to say it's a habit it's something I do every day but I do it intentionally it puts all my other habits which I certainly have in a different light and allows me to see the open spaces in my life in my day at the same time as I live a very habitual life because <laughs> uh, there are open spaces where there are, is time to reconnect with myself and reconnect with the abundance that that is all around us that embraces us in, in every moment if we can be open to it and that's beautiful I absolutely love that and one point I want to make from that is that you said is you wouldn't consider it a habit and that's the beautiful thing about habits is once you've done them for long enough, they just simply become who you are, and, and that's what right. you do. That's I great. Mean, you know, so that's I a great phrase. That. Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So, what book would you recommend to our abundant leaders, and why? Uh, well, I just finished a book called uh, "Simple Truths" by Kent Nurburn, uh, and I'm eagerly awaiting his his next book, "A Girl Who Sang to the Buffalo." Uh, he is a, a writer from Michigan, and um, uh, he's deeply in into Native American imagery, but uh, 
I just find him a very inspiring person to read, and I highly recommend all of his books. He has taken, he's he's kind of channeled, in many ways. The and I have several friends who are into the Native American uh, life uh, or the religious part of it, at least, and they say, "Oh, he's another white guy," you know. <laughs> Trying to, trying to be an Indian, you know, or indigenous, and it's not that. He, he really has, a, a, I believe, a spiritual connection to what the original Americans, the indigenous population, how they saw the planet, their relationships with other people, with their family, and with their community, and how that can be a glue to hold us to who we are, and to know who we are and to know that we're loved by this greater power in our life, this greater intelligence, finer intelligence. Uh, he's got that and it comes through in his writing and there, you know, the books, the Simple Truth is, is just a little like, I had it in the bathroom kind of book, you know, because it's little phrases, each page has a different thing, but uh, he writes these novels and I'm eagerly awaiting. Kent Nurburn. Okay. Beautiful. I will have that listed in the show notes uh, of this show as well, along with um, timestamps, which are really cool. Uh, in, the, in the show notes, you'll see little timestamps, and you click on the timestamp, and it'll take you directly to that point of interest within the podcast, which is really neat to uh, oh, good. Have, good. That, uh, yeah, have that technology there. It's really neat. So yeah. my final question to you, Gary, is one of my favorite questions to ask everybody, which is what does living a life of abundance mean to you? Uh, living now, in the now, whenever possible. What I have found is that in, in a, with emphasis on being in the present, that there is an organic response, and that organic response is abundance, yeah. that we are filled. If we truly open ourselves, we are filled with what God meant for us, it takes a while. It's taken me this my lifetime to really find what real openness is. But uh, I have seen that as a, a new authority in my life. That it is, and I and I recognize it as an organic uh, birthright for every every human being. And if we can touch that on a regular basis, the world would be a hell of a lot better place. Abs. Absolutely, 100% agree. Absolutely. So we're going to close this up. Gary, has been a beautiful conversation. I appreciate the stories, and I appreciate you sharing that information with Men of Abundance. How else can we reach you? And uh, let's make sure we have that website so we can go check out your work. Yeah, Genetic Glass is my website. Uh, I do have my upcycled. I just launched my up, one of my upcycled glass products on Amazon. So you can search Junkyard Glass, and you'll come up with... Amazon, who is attempting to rule the retail world, but um, they do have a new uh, a new area that's called Amazon Launchpad, and it's uh, all curated products that have been crowdfunded. So that's one of the things that came out of my crowdfunding success camp campaign success was that uh, Amazon reached out to me and offered me all this content. There's a little video on there. Uh, a lot of the backstory that we've talked about uh, about the product and uh, I'll be adding more content as time goes along but 
that that's a good way to approach uh, and to see what the upcycle glass project is about and and maybe even purchase something if you feel so inclined absolutely yeah most definitely and i actually just heard about that new amazon uh area new amazon product that they just pushed out i just heard about that this morning yeah no there's some wonderful things on it it's a great uh and they're they're really eager to um connect with that that population that that for these new products new kinds of things with new ideas you know mm-hmm. and a lot of it's gadgets but so i'm kind of a a standout in that sense uh, yeah. but <laughs> with what i'm doing but it has it, it's like i said it's really about the story and 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 the integrity of the approach to making things i mean i'm uh the maker movement is uh is another is the next step for me the next phase of the American craft movement is this maker movement, and it's it's including all the t- new technologies and the new way of making things and and disrupting old patterns and uh, you know uh, that that's where I'm headed with it. And uh, I think that Amazon is intrigued by it enough to uh, reach out to us to uh, try to help us. So that's good. Yeah, it is. Well, men of abundance, I'll tell you, you you've got the story. You've now met the man virtually anyway through the podcast and now you just have to go look at the at the at his work it's amazing and i'm sure you, many of you are going to want to pick up a couple pieces so gary it's been a pleasure i appreciate your time and i appreciate this conversation and i look forward to going out and checking out some more of your work thank you so much wally awesome have a good day you too take care All right, Men of Abundance, I'm glad you stuck around to the end. I know that was a long one, but it was a really, really cool story, and I just had to share that with you. Now, go out and live your life of abundance, and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.